0: Wretched Radio begins in three, two. If the God of the Bible really exists, I would go gladly to hell. And anybody happy to go to heaven to worship such a creature is morally bankrupt.
1: It is because God's wrath is real that His mercy is relevant. Unless you have a real wrath, the biblical concepts of mercy and of grace are robbed of
2: their meaning.
0: It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
2: The world, it causes the problem. It offers us. Solution which merely exacerbates the problem that they actually caused. Mm. This is Wretched Radio, a therapy spark. Todd, Todd
3: I, I hate interrupting. I know I hate this. But weren't you supposed to lead with the church plant meeting this Saturday? <laughs>
2: you know, just, this is crazy. I know. You interrupted because you want me to talk about a potential Bible-based church plant in northern Atlanta, which people could actually attend a meeting about this Saturday if they send an email to Dan at gospelpartnersmedia.org. But I can't do that, Jimmy. Oh, why not? I am D-U-N finished with this relationship. (laughs) Let me tell you why Why I am in a place where I'm trying to honor my needs and act in alignment with what feels right within the scope of my life. And I'm afraid that our friendship doesn't seem to fit into that framework. That's why <laughs> okay. right it, there. It feels like a prepared response. <laughs> it sort of sounds <laughs> like you just got a memo from HR. What happened to us? The world is Actively seeking to cause a problem, offer a solution which is merely making the problem worse. What does the world tell? Every generation, but especially the young'uns these days, you are the center of the universe. Forget heliocentric. (laughs) It's me-centric. Everything is about the individual. And as we have heard in the past from individuals like Nancy Piercy and Carl Truman, this didn't come out of nowhere. Instead, there have been philosophers, secularists, who have been introducing different ways to think about reality. And one of the movements that still is having an impact on us today is Romanticism. If you recall, this was the movement that came on the wake of enlightenment, where everything was scientifically based, that we can logic and reason through this, especially if we can reproduce it in a laboratory and science speaks to every realm of life. The romanticist came along and said, wait a second. What about emotions? What about feelings? How's about reactions? What about being human? And so the pendulum, as it is wont to do, swung in the opposite direction. It went from empiricism to feelings. Everything was about feelings. And we were encouraged, if we were really going to be happy to be our authentic selves, to just let it fly, what's going on inside of you, you need to act on that because that is what it means to be truly free. Funny how Jesus spoke about what it means to be Truly free, nevertheless, the romanticists had a great impact all the way through the 20th century, specifically as it was then applied to the psychological movement in our society that said experts can help you work through your emotional issues. And how did they do that? Well, courtesy of one Sigmund Freud, the idea was to go find that inner you. What, what the... The buried self is. And let it fly. And if that is in opposition to your parents and specifically Christianity, all the better. And we have been living in a psychologized society now for, give or take, we're pushing 100 years where the individual, in order to find liberation, freedom, happiness, needs to focus on one thing and one thing only. Me, 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 and we are seeing the effects of that worldview with a disconnected society. People who are feeling adrift, hence the loneliness epidemic. People are surrounded with people. We certainly see plenty of people in pixel form. We are not alone in Western civilization, and yet we feel so lonely Why? Might I suggest to you the loneliness epidemic that we are experiencing these days is courtesy of the autonomous self worldview. You are a rock. You are an island. You be you. Your authentic self, said Oprah Winfrey. You got to let it fly. Now, if that means killing your baby. If that means jettisoning your family, so be it as long as you are happy. And what has been the effect? Loneliness, anxiety, depression, suicide. I think suicide now is the number 11 leading cause of death in the West. Suicide, the most Affluent society in human history, with every single amenity imaginable, people are killing themselves at unprecedented rates. Why? So many people feel alone. Why? Because the world has told them, be alone. You are it. Don't worry about others. Don't concern yourself with family, with friends, certainly with church, or even society. You be you. Now here comes the punchline. The world, with their worldview, create a problem and then they offer the solution. The world who created the loneliness epidemic now encourages people, if you are feeling really alone, you need to make sure that you are practicing self-care that you're about the business of putting up guardrails around your life so that people don't make you feel bad. In other words, make yourself an even lonelier island. You need to be happy, and the only way to achieve that is if anybody that you have a relationship with causes you any sort of frustration, concern, It becomes work because relationships aren't always easy. Sometimes you get wounded in relationships, jettison them. And so it is this article. I'm telling you, this was just, it it was, it was basically like being in a high school, listening to the language of it. The title is, is therapy speak making us selfish? Um, Yes. Yes, it is. And the sentence that I dropped on you, Jimmy, when you so rudely interrupted me about a potential church plant meeting this Saturday, northern Atlanta suburbs, Dan at GospelPartnersMedia.org, was taken from this article. An individual named Anna, she got dumped by a friend. She got ghosted. That's the trend. Oh, I don't want to go out to see a movie on Saturday. Silence. You just cut them off. I'm in a place. So she had a friend Uh who was cutting her off. I'm in a place where I'm trying to honor my needs and act in alignment with what feels right within the scope of my life. And I'm afraid our friendship doesn't seem to fit into that framework. I can no longer hold the emotional space. (laughs) This lingo. I can no longer hold the emotional space. You've wanted me to. And I think the support you need is beyond the scope of what I can offer. What is that? It's therapy speak because we are a therapeutic society. We are immersed in psychological lingo. In recent years, therapy concepts like self-care and boundary setting have shown up everywhere online. Instagram accounts, other social media communities sharing mantras and advice advocating for self-actualization. You should think individualistically. Oh, You feel lonely, depressed, and afraid? Then really be selfish. Perfect. The world creating the problem and then offering a solution, making the original problem that they created even worse. Therapy speak his prescriptive language describing certain psychological concepts and behaviors it's everywhere group chats dating apps we have more language to advocate for ourselves and our needs whether it be canceling plans when we feel overwhelmed or ending relationships that no longer serve us want an example you got it 2019 a relationship coach Twitter thread offering a template for telling friends in need of support that you're at capacity at the moment. Jimmy. Uh Uh-huh. I, uh, I can't keep going here. I'm at capacity. (laughs) Pull the, oh, he's at capacity. Oh, I didn't, you don't have to do your job. You don't have to show, you're at capacity. How could I be so thoughtless? A clinical psychologist's TikTok video outlining how to break up with a friend went viral after viewers pointed out that it sounded like a missive from human resources. And so they do. Lucy, 29, from Kentucky, had a friend who repeatedly insisted on dictating the meetings that they would have in the name of self-care. When we'd make plans, she'd change them the day before. Trying to reschedule and rearrange events would be met with. The plans change. We're going to have to do something else. I'm setting a boundary. Oh, okay. And if you respond by saying, well, we had plans. Oh, guess what? Now you are being demanding and toxic. And right now, there just might be some moms and dads going, hey, wait a second. That sounds like my kid. And so it is. Christian kids are not immune from therapy speak. And I would like to suggest to you, this is one more reason we see the vast divide between good Christian parents and their children. While you've been trying to teach them to love Jesus, teaching them Bible-based, thus saith the Lord morality, the world's been telling them, oh, no, no, no. If those parents make you feel bad, it's time for therapy speak. We'll continue speaking their language next on Wretched Radio. You're familiar with this sound. You're sitting in church. Your pastor is preaching. You have your John MacArthur Study Bible open. The pastor is reading the scripture. And all of a sudden you hear everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur Study Bible. Why? Because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's Word is trying to teach. How would you like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines? They typically make about $12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing, $25 a Bible. Four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible.
3: All right, listen up, parents and married couples. We know better than anyone that there can be times of uneasiness in our homes. Well, if you're ready to revitalize and make a transformation in your family life, then I want to point you in the direction of wretched.org for a new deal so good you're gonna think it came straight down from heaven. I'm talking about the Joy in the Home Bundle. In the bundle, you're gonna find the Drive by Marriage audio series, the Drive by Marriage Study Guide, the Drive by Parenting audio series, and study guide and last but certainly not least reset for parents now understand this isn't a magical potion that's going to make everyone in your home behave but it's the next best thing so what are you waiting for hurry up head over to wretched.org right now and jump on the path that's going to help you bring joy back into your home don't miss out it's wretched.org it's the joy in the home bundle on sale right now trust me you'll be thanking us later
2: Five hundred dollars per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com/wretched, metashare.com/wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at eight four four three four Bible, eight four four three four Bible, eight four four three four Bible.
0: Books of the Bible. Deuteronomy means second law. As the Israelites prepared to enter the promised land after wandering 40 years, God reminds them of how He rescued them from Egypt, what He commands in His law, and the blessings and curses that come with keeping or breaking His law. God is faithful to provide the inheritance He has promised to His children. This is Wretched Radio
2: with Todd Friel. Hey, Mom and Dad, have you been ghosted by your own children this is wretched radio if you are an evangelical parent you did a bang-up job raising your kids and now you're scratching your head wondering why don't i ever hear from them why don't they ever visit they don't even respond to my texts anymore perhaps it's because your kids despite your best efforts have been influenced by romanticism post-modernism, and a therapeutic th- society that encourages you to use therapy-speak, clinical language, to take care of your little old you. And if anything or anyone, especially them, their parents, cause you any consternation whatsoever, ghost them, and then send them an HR missive stating, I don't feel safe with you. I must set boundaries. I need a little me time. Where does this come from? Malice in Wonderland, an article at the American Mind (laughs) using Alice in Wonderland. Tell me that wasn't some sort of drug-induced trip she went on, or at least Lewis Carroll was on. She falls down the rabbit hole, and everything is postmodern. Everything is topsy-turvy. She said to the queen, um... I can't believe impossible things. And the queen, why sometimes I believe six impossible things before breakfast. And this particular article by Stephen Watts goes about the business of trying to explain how we got here. And it's a combination of postmodernism and therapeutic speak in order to help people. We've developed the postmodernism and the focus on individualism has caused people to be blue. And so what does the world do in their godless brilliance? That was sarcasm. They create a way to help people feel better, which only exacerbates the original problem. And so it is Philip Reeve, The Triumph of the Therapeutic, talking about society producing a psychological man. Everything was about psychology, your id, and your ego. We grew preoccupied with personal growth, self-esteem, and unceasing quest for a state of emotional well-being. Psychological man jettisoned morality for therapy as a guide to living the good life. And so in this new cultural calculus, mental health replaced character formation and self-fulfillment surmounted self-control as ideas for individual development. And that is why you see an uptick in language that before would be rather foreign to you. Safe place that you're setting boundaries that you need to protect yourself and make sure that you aren't Exposing yourself to somebody who's toxic? Interestingly, I read an article a couple of weeks ago about the decline of biblical language in search engines. Words like grace, mercy, charity, those words are way down. Why? Because we're living in a post-Christian world and biblical lingo is being replaced by therapeutic language. Back to our article, the ascendancy of the therapeutic culture encouraged an obsession with identity generating an internal struggle to shape a fluid, malleable self into a form conducive to achieving happiness. It's not about holiness. It's all about happiness. And there's billions and trillions of dollars (laughs) that are changing hands in order for people to get some of that their happiness. The therapeutic revolution encouraged an obsession with victimization, promoting the notion that each of us is emotionally beset by forces beyond our control and awarding victims an elevated moral standing. The therapeutic mindset encouraged an obsession with feelings. And that's all. We are are just a bundle of emotions. That's it. Insisting that the claims of mental health and the constant need for feeling good about yourself outweighed the demands of reason. And so if there's any sort of hierarchy, Maslow, on top, it, it's, it's self, it's feelings, it's me, it's good, it's, how oh, I'm happy, I'm rested, I'm not stressed. Everything has become therapeutic, and that is the effect of a godless worldview that says you're the center of the universe, not community, not family, and certainly Not Christianity. Well, that would just be awful. By the early 2000s, the therapeutic left marshaled its troops in universities. I think it was going on longer than that, nevertheless. Drawn from the psychologized world of therapy and encounter groups, campus radicals demanded safe spaces where oppressed groups and their traumatized student supporters would be shielded from words and ideas that made them uncomfortable that's why you saw that Stanford law debacle. I don't feel safe. This was the, the woman who's in charge of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You're not safe. I don't feel safe. Doing this makes me feel unsafe. Being in your presence, I'm unsafe. Just safety, self, nothing to rock my boat or challenge my worldview. Universities had students cuddling with therapy dogs raking soothing designs in sandboxes and practicing mindfulness and self-care exercises so mindfulness again get rid of everything you just get it out of your brain and just think about well you know something that you love a lot your yourself they insisted on trigger warnings for academic subjects that might prompt emotional trauma and denounced microaggressions as a species of assault so if you would like to know why though triggering is so prevalent these days because it makes who feel bad me therefore if whatever it is that you are doing or saying makes me feel bad it cannot be good and so if you say to me christian that jesus is the way the truth the life you've triggered me you you are that is a microaggression or just a flat out aggression in their world why because it's uncomfortable. It doesn't align with their, their personal values. And they slap a label on it, and they put it in a hierarchy above all things, including religion, including education. Wait a second. You bringing historical data to this conversation, not acceptable. You're not welcome to teach or to speak here because you make students feel bad. Want to Want a perfect example of that? Let me take you to Canada for a minute. This kid's a brave one, Catholic, Josh Alexander, 17 years old. Drew the ire of school leadership when he organized a student walkout at the Catholic high school against biological males in girls bathrooms. Did you see that story in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin? That was a beauty, 17 or 18-year-old boy saying that he's actually a girl, showering with teenage girls nice very nice and guess what you judge that and you're the problem because he then doesn't feel safe and he doesn't feel like he has the same value as everybody else that's the therapeutic self alive and well he also reportedly argued in class that god created two unchangeable genders The complaint recounts that students erupted during a math class when he argued against the school's bathroom policy. When he claimed that men have biological body parts and so do women, his classmates called him a misogynist, a racist, and a homophobic transphobe. And you can't be that. While the teacher allegedly nodded and gestured at the students yelling at Josh, indicating her approval. He was ultimately suspended and told, here it comes, that his continued attendance would be detrimental to the mental well-being of transgender students. There it is, right there. You make somebody feel bad, you're automatically wrong. Why? Because self and our feelings are personalized emotions. They sit at the top of any heap. In law enforcement, Activists have proposed replacing the police with squadrons of mental health experts. Progressives want restorative justice, emotional healing through restorative practices like peace circles, peer mediation, community conferencing, and trauma-informed approaches. Terrific. Now. Social emotional learning. You should get familiar with these three letters. SEL has reimagined the mission of America's primary and secondary schools as fostering values, emotional states and mental health. Convinced that language can set you free. Hmm. That has echoes of a more reliable quote, postmodernists have embarked on a crusade to reshape texts, revamp discourses, and revise narratives, dismissing reason as outright fraud, if not an impossibility, because of its connection to the uncertainty of language. What's the goal? Shutting down all opposing ideas. Like the Queen of Hearts, they shout, off with their heads. This strategy encompasses not only speech codes and social ostracization, but shrieking mobs of progressives that actually squelch the debate. That is the world you live in, mom and dad. So if your kids have ghosted you, now you know why. And that's on them, not on you. How do we cut through this? There is only one sword that is up to the task. We would do well to use God's words. This is Wretched Radio.
3: And it's now time for a wretched news break on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, in a world that continues to baffle us, Project Veritas has brought to light gender clinics assisting children as young as eight years old in their transition process. Let me say that again as young as eight years old. I can't remember any permanent life-altering decisions I made when I was 8 years old. Probably because I was still eating mud. (sighs) Now shifting gears to Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis preparing to ban drag shows for kids. That's a good move. That's someone that's actually looking out for kids. The decision led to an LGBT group to cancel their pride parade. I guess that's their protest. Yeah, that'll get DeSantis to think twice about letting people harm kids. And in the realm of professional sports, former NBA star, legendary, probably the greatest basketball coach in the history of ever, Phil Jackson has criticized the NBA for going too far with their woke stance. And then Jalen Rose, former NBA star and now talking head on ESPN, has hit back, saying that the NBA hasn't gone woke enough. So now apparently a dispute between the two. Now, I wouldn't actually say a dispute because I don't think Phil Jackson plays into that type of game. And now over in the beverage industry, where news has been ablaze in the last few weeks, Anheuser-Busch, the company at the top of the list, has placed another top marketing executive on leave after the whole Bud Light transgender controversy. And the debacle has people questioning if corporations should be a little bit more careful on choosing which social issues to get behind. Honestly, why do we want companies to get involved in these issues? I mean, wouldn't you rather your favorite cereal just stay your favorite cereal? Don't give me a reason not to want to eat my Fruity Pebbles. Come on. And in legal news, the Supreme Court has delayed the My Pristone decision, extending pill access for the time being. It's unfortunate, and it's evident that the conversation is far from over. Lastly, our prayers are with the people in Uganda, where we were victims of a recent bombing by jihadists during a Good Friday service. It's a sober reminder that I have to give you nearly daily here at wretched please remember to continue to pray for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad and that's been today's wretched news break more wretched radio straight ahead i'm jimmy hicks
0: the fruit of the spirit is evidence that god is working in us every believer will evidence this fruit but it is important to remember that bearing fruit is a consequence of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. God is working in us and through us, and he is a source of this fruit, not us. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
3: <laughs> what are you
0: doing?
2: <laughs> kind of getting lightheaded, to be honest with you. Well, that would be the sound effect of the pendulum swinging in the opposite direction. Because I couldn't find that effect on YouTube. This is Wretched Radio. The world demands watch your mouth. You must adopt therapeutic speech because if you trigger, if you upset anybody's worldview apple cart, then you are a fill-in-the-blank. You're a homophobe. You're racist. You're misogynist. You're downright cruel because you make somebody feel bad with your words. Unfortunately, far too many Christians are capitulating to those demands. We don't want to, we don't want to speak truth because, well, that'll upset people. And we're supposed to be loving. Yes, you are supposed to be loving. And speaking the truth is love and it is to be delivered in a loving way. And yet far too many Christians are saying, we give in to your demands, world. We won't say anything harmful. What pronouns do you want us to use? Jimmy? Yes? This is, mm. Tell me if I've got this wrong, the pronoun thing. Uh-huh. It's kind of been in my craw a little bit because we were in a store the other day and this woman was being super helpful. And I she was, she was just going with the corporate program. And we were actually thinking about buying something, which is weird because normally we just go to the store to see the merchandise and then go buy it cheaper online. But we were actually considering getting it right there on the spot. And I looked at her name tag and it had her name, And then she, her, hers. She had to put her pronouns. Uh Why did I feel like saying, you know, you're really not, I'm so sorry. I I don't think that I can do business with an organization that's trying to sell me something that you claim to be reliable when you can't even figure out the difference between a boy and a girl. Uh I'm sorry. Was that a wrong sensibility? Maybe. Why? I I don't know. I don't know. It's. Lie nicely. I would have done it nicely, of course. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, on the other hand, you have that's the ditch sound effect. You've got Christians who would say, forget about the love part. It's time for us to reclaim territory. And if we speak truth, we're gonna speak it truthfully because that is love. And that is true. Speaking truth is love, but might I suggest. We are still called to speak truth, which is love lovingly, and that we can't get away with just speaking like, well, jerks, by saying, well, speaking truth is love. That is true. It is loving to speak the truth. Of course it is. But that doesn't give us license or the liberty to disobey the constant commands in the Bible that we are supposed to be those who are gentle and meek and kindly gasp from an article titled radical Christian gentleness in an era of addictive outrage. You're going to say, Oh God, this is going to be a diatribe on getting squishy. Hold the phone, Henrietta. This is based on Jonathan Edwards, Mr. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Was anybody confused about his theological positions? Does anybody think that Jonathan Edwards would have worn a name tag at the story worked in with his pronouns? Does anybody think that Jonathan Edwards was squishy? In his great work, Religious Affections, it's it's a great, I don't dis, I don't agree with all of it. But it is well worth the read because he was perhaps the finest Christian mind on this continent, period. And we've had some really brilliant Christians. He's right up there. In Religious Affections, Jonathan Edwards insists an essential trait of any true Christian is, quote, quote, the lamb-like, dove-like spirit and temper of Jesus Christ. Now I can hear it. Hey, we paid for this sound effect. We are going to get our money's worth. I can hear somebody saying, didn't Jesus overturn the tables? Yes. Didn't Jesus have scorching words for the Pharisees? Yes. Yes, he did. Now, please note the balance. If we can find our precarious way in knowing when to speak like that and when not, that was, that was definitely done by Jesus. It was the exception, not the rule that doesn't dismiss it, of course, but it doesn't mean that we can always be tipping over tables and woeing people like Jesus did. He presents this point. Jonathan Edwards presents this point as nothing less than a fundamental of the faith. Uh Oh, this is, Now, here's some scorching words for you. Jonathan Edwards insists the evidence in Scripture is so very abundant that we must be lamb-like, dove-like, and have the temper of Jesus as to prove such traits are essential marks of true Christians. Uh Uh-oh. If you are nothing but bellicose, Jonathan Edwards would want to do a little sit-down with you and say, hold it. Now, it could just mean you're going through cage stage. I remember it well. Jimmy. I got out of cage stage. When? Last Tuesday. <laughs> so I know full well what I'm talking about here. Colossians 3 urges us. Paul says, mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind. This is how we are to live. Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving, love, joy, peace, patience, et cetera. This is Jonathan Edwards and the Bible saying we've, We've got to speak the truth. We, can't. there's time for discretion. There really is, but there's also a time to to speak up. Okay, Jimmy, uh-huh. I, I maybe have another one for you. Okay. So, at the at the park in a northern suburb where we're looking at doing a church plant, which you could attend the meeting to discuss that on Saturday afternoon by sending an email to danagospelpartnersmedia dot org. They had Shakespeare in the park. Oh, yeah, it was a Midsummer Night's Dream. It's, well, it probably wasn't quite as weird as Alice in Wonderland, but it was knocking on the same door. It was, I I thought it was great. A lot of these young people, they're actually memorizing Shakespeare. Hmm. Good on them for that. But we pondered, oh, Midsummer Night's Dream, that's about like four different couples and love potions and nymphs in the forest. Uh-oh, what if... It's boyfriend and boyfriend instead ah. of boyfriend and girlfriend. Mm-hmm. What'll we do? I thought. Well, we don't have to say anything when we stand up, fold up our chairs, and walk away if that happens. Uh, but we do need to. Be, we do need to be speaking somehow. We need to be saying something to this culture, not because we're agitated with them, but because they're lost, because they're confused. They're in date. They are in huge danger. When you have somebody who is thinking they're not the gender that they actually are, they're in big trouble, these people. And we do need to speak. The question, of course, is how do we do that? From this article, this is going to sting a little bit. It's from George Marsden. Conservative churches who have most celebrated Jonathan Edwards have also celebrated manly militancies in ways contrary to what Edwards sees as an essential quality of a genuine child of God. But that hurts a little bit. Edwards, what about Christian fortitude? Huh? What about speaking up? I'm all for it. And, and Jonathan Edwards anticipates that question. Hey, we're supposed to be strong. Act like men. Be courageous. Stand firm. Those are all there. Quote, Many people seem to be quite mistaken about the nature of Christian fortitude when they make the fierce and brutal attitudes of human warfare a model for Christian attitudes more generally. That is an easy mistake to make because we are called for those things. We should have Christian fortitude. How we do it. That's where it gets tricky. And here's where it gets even that the trickiness gets compounded because you've got different personality types and, and you've just got different people who speak different ways. There are some people who are just naturally brusque. They're mat- just tone cadence. There's going to be a variance in how we accomplish this task. So how do we know if we're doing it or not? And the answer is, that question is pretty difficult to answer, but I would suggest this. If we aren't asking it, we're probably not even coming close to hitting the mark. Edwards concedes some true Christians may have a naturally difficult temperament and a contrary spirit, so that they sometimes act contrary to Christ's Lamb-like nature. And then he says this, but this I affirm and shall affirm till I deny the Bible to be worth anything, that everything in Christians that belongs to true Christianity is of this tendency and works this way, and that there is no true Christian on earth, oh boy, but is so under the prevailing power of such a spirit that he is properly dominated by it. And it is truly and justly his character. (sighs) If Jonathan Edwards' words hold any weight, that should scare us a little bit. That should should cause us to tremble. For those of us who do indeed want to be obedient to the command, to be those who defend the faith once given for all time, to stand firm and act like men. (sighs) We're not called to be sissies, but we're definitely not called to be jerks. We are called to be courageous, but we aren't called to be obnoxious. How in the world can we possibly find that balance? Next on Wretched Radio.
3: Hey, Thank you so much for listening to Ritual Radio today. You know, we cannot thank our gospel partners enough for your ongoing support. We also can't thank our listeners and viewers enough for your testimonies. Rick recently wrote in and said, quote, your ministry has helped me learn to share the gospel. Look, that wouldn't be possible without you, gospel partner. You help us to reach people in our mission, which of course is to preach the gospel, teach others to do the same and equip the local church. And so that's what you've helped us to do with people just like Rick. And we thank you so much for being a gospel partner. And hey, you should know by now, we do not waste your money around here. No luxurious vacations or fancy jets or anything like that. In fact, 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry efforts. And if you're not a gospel partner, why not consider joining our mission? Just visit wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. Wretched, Amazing grace, amazing gospel.
2: Sorry to ask you to do some arithmetic, but this is some math that will encourage you and make you very, very happy. This is one testimony of a mother who chose life because she saw her own baby, courtesy of an ultrasound from preborn. us grow that number by providing as many ultrasounds as possible at preborn.org slash wretched slash wretched titles
0: of christ in the bible jesus has given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done Jesus is called a fragrant offering. In the Old Testament, God required burnt offerings of meat and incense as a pleasing aroma. These sacrifices foreshadowed Jesus, the perfect offering that takes away the sins of the world. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
2: I'm I'm, I'm scared, Jimmy. I'm scared. What are you scared of? Well, I I did a tease in the last segment here on... Wretched Radio, thanks for the ID, for you. And I don't know for sure how to answer my own question. What what question? How to be a man? Yeah. How to be a godly man living in a culture that says capitulate. Don't make anybody feel bad about nothing, especially with your harmful words. How is a fellow to be a man? Now, that is the question, and I, I don't have the answer, Jimmy. Any suggestions? I can
3: help you with that. Yeah. Over the weekend, Dr. Greg Gifford did a podcast on this very thing, Todd. No way! Way!
2: So I could play this and we could listen to it to learn how to be a man who isn't a wimp and who isn't a bellicose jerk. From Dr. Greg Gifford on the Transform podcast, which you can listen to every single week on your favorite podcasting device. Jimmy, you've got the file right here. All I need to do is just push this button. It's Imagine amazing. That.
1: What does it mean to be a man? and not a woman. What does it mean to be a man and not a woman? If I can explain that to my eight-year-old son and help him establish what's different about him and what should be different about him, I'm going to do it in in three general ways. First, we're going to talk about how God has created him differently. And as a man, our bodies, our anatomy, it's different from women. And that's good. Uh, We rejoice in that. Our voices are deeper, our arms are hairier, typically our shoulders are broader, you know, we have certain anatomical features that are different, and boom, yes, that is our biology, that is our body, and as a man, there's no shame in having neck hair.
2: Okay, hold on. I actually had to send a text to Dr. Gifford to correct him on this. Oh, why? Um, Neck hair, duh effect of the fall, hello. Because God created us with neck hair.
1: So we rejoice in the way that God has created us and we know that that's part of what it means to be a man. But the next aspect is what does the Bible say about manhood? What does the Bible teach? And these are often character traits. So character traits of a man, things that correspond to a man primarily. And when we walk through these character traits together, I hope to show you that what the Bible says about a man is, is distinct to manhood and that there are many times when this is directly relatable to men and not to women, something that God calls a man to be. So first category is that of your body. The second is that of the Bible. And the third category is that of what the culture sees to be expressions of masculinity.
2: That's where it gets tricky, by the way, which is why you'll want to get this podcast to listen to. I think he does three parts on this, Jimmy. Yes. This is just his introduction, and it's super fine. The categories that help us to clarify. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian man? What does it mean to be a Christian Woman, and he gives three helpful categories. You have got yourselves, biology, Bible, and then culture. That's where it gets
1: tricky. Cultural expressions of masculinity are things that are often what your immediate culture expects a man to do or a man to be. Uh, Let me explain this for a second. You know, I, I. come from Georgia. My wife and I are actually from Savannah, Georgia. So no, for those he of you is? that are listening from Georgia. I hadn't heard that. Hello, my friends. Yet in Georgia, we had a kind of like a perspective of what manhood should look like. And it means that you probably wear your hunting jacket, which is camouflage. Uh you should have a truck, obviously, because you need to be able to drive four wheel drive. And if you don't have a four-wheel drive truck, like what What kind of man are you really in the end? And uh, most likely, you know, like there are a couple of other things. Maybe you love sports, you chew tobacco, you wear a hat, you know, you wear cowboy boots. And that's what manhood looked like for me in Southern Georgia. Really? And yet when I came to Southern California, uh, there weren't very many four-by-four trucks. There was eco-friendly vehicles Uh, There were Priuses and things of that nature. I don't recall the last time that I've seen a guy wearing a camouflage jacket around town or out on a Friday night. Some of the expressions in Southern California are actually quite different from expressions in Southern Georgia. So there there are cultural expectations of what a man looks like. As we finish this series, I'm going to do my best to explain how our cultural expectations need to be vet and compared against what the Bible says and who God has created a man to be in his body. Because there are times when our culture expects right things of a man. And as a man, we do our best to honor that and to recognize that we're going to do our best to live out biblical masculinity within this culture. So we're in North America. What does it look like to be a man in North America? And we're going to honor that as best as we can. And there are other times when we actually have to say, hey, culture, you've gotten it wrong. Because what you expect of a man is not what God expects of a man through his scripture. Or what you expect of a man is anti-body. You know, like I, I should not be expected to change my anatomy to fit a cultural expectation of manhood. So what is a man and what makes a man a man and not a woman? I want you to remember those three categories. Number one, the way that God has made you, your body. Number two, what the Bible says about you and what the Bible identifies for masculinity. And number three, honoring cultural expectations of manhood. Those three categories, because those three categories are going to help us frame biblical manhood and then living according to biblical manhood within your current culture. That is so helpful.
2: Isn't that precisely where we tend to get in arguments and get tripped up? cultural expressions of masculinity, they have varied throughout the centuries, and they certainly vary via zip codes. What is masculine here ain't necessarily masculine there. For instance, if you discovered there's a man who sews at home, you'd go, oh, remember Fiddler on the Roof? The tailor was a man. Now, not the manliest man, but the point was a man did sewing. In that culture at that time, that was considered a masculine enterprise, not a feminine one per se. In other words, we have different cultural expressions for what it means to be masculine. And it comes out with facial hair. It comes out with clothing styles. It comes out with body type. It comes out with musical preferences, color preferences. So many different expressions that society says, ah, that there, that's girly behavior, that there is manly behavior. And sometimes they're right, like a blind shed that finds a squirrel in the knife twice a day. They get it right on occasion. Of course they do, but not all the time. And that's where we tend to get into some difficulty, isn't it? Why don't we want our little boys to wear dresses? in this culture but if we were in Scotland you wouldn't call it a dress you'd call it a kilt it's okay because there's different cultural expressions what we need then is to understand what the Bible says we need then to let the Bible trump what culture teaches while trying to adhere to cultural norms because you don't want to look out of step you don't want to look bizarre but we have to remember that the culture can get it wrong, and this gets so tricky when it comes to the subject, for instance, of emotions, that typically, men and women, we all have the same emotions. We do. We all have the same. things you make you sad, they make you happy, etc. Now, how much we express those, how close to the surface those are, well, there's a difference there, isn't there? And yet? We might get confused if we discover that there's a guy who tends to get a little bit weepy when he watches a Hallmark movie. Okay, sorry. That was a bad example. Um, If that's you, please uh, call one 800 help me i am not acting like a dude.com or something like that. Bible is going to teach us that there are... Didn't Jesus weep? Would you ever point a finger and think, well, that's kind of sissified. He did it in public. Everybody saw it. And one of the reasons that it wasn't considered problematic is because culturally, it was okay for a man to express himself. Not all the time, but at a funeral, it certainly was. In our culture, admittedly, men going to a funeral and getting verklempt. Oh, he cried. Oh. Cried at the funeral of his friend or loved one. Well, okay. Well, that's kind of surprising. It wouldn't have been in Jesus' day because crying at a funeral, that was actually, ex- I don't even want to say it was a, more like the norm. Culture has an impact. We've got to listen to culture, but that doesn't mean we have to apply everything that culture says we're supposed to do. So how do we do that? How do we find our way in that? It's the same way we figure out how to speak truth and love. We've got to do it in community. We just have to. Okay. Sunday. I left my cell phone at the church. Al picks it up for me. We meet to pick it up. I had a purple shirt. It was not pink. It was purple. And I came running across the street like we were doing a drug deal. And he's like, "Uh, you might not want to run that way in that shirt. Okay, did I think I was? In other words, we need to help one another. You know, just like the Bible says. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.